If you have your Bible, I pray you do. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18, and then as you're turning there, just remember every week we're going to be going through a memory verse for the week, you know, last week, uh, actually there was three, and that was Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, and Romans 5.12. Now, someone came to me just uh, this week and said, man, for the life of me, I can't remember things, you know, hey, listen, I get that. I really do, you know. So if you do have a hard time just memorizing certain verses, uh, just remember the addresses. Because the memory verse, if you remember, dealt with a question. And the question kind of went like this. I I consider myself a good person. Won't that be enough? And of course, Romans 3.10, where it says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and all come short of the glory of God. And then the home run there in Romans 5.12, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all, for all have sinned. So just know those verses. Somebody comes to you, a loved one, you know, or a friend, and just say, you know, I really think my good will outweigh my bad. I'm going to get into heaven based on that. You go, well, you know what, friend? Romans tells me, you know, and then you'll be able just to take them right to that verse. Now, this week, the question is, is uh, sin really that big of a deal? And uh, if it is, then what hope is there? And of course, Romans 6, 23, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So is it a big deal? Yes, indeed, it's a biggie, right, gang? And so, again, we're memorizing what they call the Romans Road. This is for you to have that tool uh, to be able to lead someone to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we're done, it should take us about six weeks. We should have it memorized, at least the addresses. Um, I'm going to have um, a few kids from our school here, Calvary Chapel, I mean, uh, Grace Christian Academy, and they're going to come up and recite all of them for you because that's something they, they've learned to do this uh, first semester uh, here at uh, Calvary Academy. So anyway, no, it's not Calvary Academy, Grace Christian Academy. Be that as it may. Okay, now with that uh, behind us, Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. Matthew 18, verse 1, studying the life and the ministry of the Lord. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is, is greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Who shall receive uh, one such little child in my name receives me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe unto the man by whom the offense comes. Wherefore, if your, right, if your hand or your foot offends thee, cut them off and cast them from thee, for it is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet, and to be cast into everlasting fire. If your eye offends thee, 
pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire. So take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. How think ye? What do you think about? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray or goes astray, does he not leave the ninety and one or the ninety-nine and goes into the mountain and seeks that which goes astray? If so, be that he finds it. Verily I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of the Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let's stand with Bible in hand, pray together. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word. And we thank you for the desires, God, that you have placed in our, in our hearts for the word, to memorize the word, to, to become acquainted with it, Lord. We just thank you, Father. It's uh, not the norm anymore. So just to have that desire to want to know your word in a deep, intimate way, Father, we give credit to the Holy Spirit of God. We thank you, Holy Spirit. And we do pray that once again, you would be in our midst, be our chief instructor, teach us. And Father, I pray that through your spirit, you would just transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said together. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Jesus tells us uh, in this passage, really, if you, if you look at the context, how to achieve greatness. The disciples came and asked him, who then is the greatest in the kingdom and the reason they asked that question and again I, I will uh, uh, have you turn to the passage but there was a heated debate going on among the, the disciples and when uh, Jesus asked them what they were talking about they kind of clammed up and they didn't they wouldn't answer now I can imagine I can only imagine what that discussion was like knowing Peter and the boys there somewhat, you know. Maybe the, the argument was sort of like, well, I must be the greatest. I walked on water. <laughs> and then someone probably chimed in and said, yeah, but you also sunk. Well, may, maybe the, Peter would say, well, you know what? I'm the one with the heavy revy. I'm the one that said, hey, Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus himself said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my father in heaven. Yeah, Pete, didn't he call you Satan, though? He said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you could just hear these guys going back and forth. I can see James and John. Wait a minute, Jesus, we're relatives. We're blood, come on. Sure, and they even had mom come to be a, sort of like a, a mediator. Can one of them sit on your left and one of them sit in your right? Can they have a higher position when your kingdom comes? Man, they were fighting over who was going to be the greatest and what position would they have within the kingdom of God? You know, it's, it, it, it's kind of funny. It's even funny when you hear kids arguing over such things, you know. And so he continues to remind them over and over and over that he did come, but it wasn't to establish 
to establish an earthly kingdom, a physical kingdom. The reason he came for the first time was he was to establish a spiritual kingdom. And by the way, folks, that's exactly what you guys um, are enjoying today, presently. We are in the kingdom of God, but it's not a physical kingdom. And there's so many today treating the kingdom of God as if it was a physical kingdom. There are people that I've seen, that I've recognized, that are in this thing where they're jockeying around, trying to get a higher position within the kingdom, a higher pos- uh, position, you know. They want to be recognized. That, and, 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 and Jesus is going to teach us in, in this in this section of scripture, what really spiritual greatness looks like. And again, I don't, I don't fault them for having such arguments, not at all. Now, can you only imagine what it would be like? And maybe you have had this experience. You have been indoctrinated or maybe you've been raised in a certain denomination and you really thought that what mom, dad, what the family have embraced, all the, then all of a sudden somebody, a nobody comes by and he says, well, that's fine and dandy, but still you've got to be born again. Many people will take offense to that. What are you telling me? That everything I've been doing and every, uh, all these religious practices, you know, you're telling me that they're wrong. No, we're not saying they're wrong. We're not saying they're right. We're just telling you that the Bible says you've got to be born again. You've got to enter into the kingdom if you want to ex- experience spiritual greatness. And Jesus, again, that's going to be one of his first points that he makes here. Now, the one thing I will say before we get into our text is there is something really going really going for the disciples here. It's something to mark. It's something to recognize. At least they they wanted greatness. They did. They wanted greatness. Who's going to be the greatness? Now, they were afraid to tell Jesus what they were arguing over. I get that. But nonetheless, they still were saying, I want to be great within the kingdom of God. And I, I would contend with you that it's easier for God to realign something that's misaligned It's easier for God to realign something that's misaligned. Another way to look at that is it's it's almost impossible for God to realign someone to spiritual greatness when they have no zero, nada, nothing. They have no desire whatsoever to be great in the kingdom of God at all. You know, these are those that just, they show up, they leave. You don't know if they're coming, they're going. They're sort of like an enigma. You don't even know what they're, you know, they don't serve anywhere. They don't do anything. You know, I guess they just think they've got their fire, fire insurance. But God, God commends spiritual greatness. And that's what we're going to see here in this text and what it, what it looks like. And um, uh, again, the difference between spiritual greatness and worldly greatness is whether it's self-centered, whether it's um, self-promotion, uh, uh, whether it's self-ambition. No, God never condemns anywhere in the Bible about spiritual greatness. He never condemns ambition. Not once through the, through the Bible. He'll say in Philippians 3, 3, or 2, 3, pardon me, let nothing be done through strife or vain glorying. It means don't be vain about yourself. You know, the world doesn't just center around you. You know, you don't do it for that reason. But when it comes to ambition, can you imagine if the church was filled with ambitious people, godly ambition, 
Imagine what this church would be like if everybody was just ambitious for spiritual greatness, not the way the world looks at it, but the way God looks at it. Imagine if we were just ambitious to serve one another and to come alongside of one another, how healthy this church would be. Well, we're healthy, but we would be more so. You know, we would have a waiting list. I want to teach Sunday school. I'm sorry. We got a month waiting list. We got too many people signed up. Oh, we want to help with the missing piece. Yeah, well, just come and, you know, there's so many people who want to help. Imagine if we had that kind of ambition. And so that's the question I want to pose to you this morning. What ambition do we have? Because there's both. There's selfish and then there's selfless. It is wanting to be recognized and the the center of attraction or is you don't care. You'll take the place of, of absolute obscurity. You don't even need to be seen. You can just, if for some reason, you are just so ambition, ambitious just to be this pl- in this place of spiritual greatness, man. You, you, you'll come here in the middle of the night and serve the Lord somehow. You know, that's what God commends. He does commend that thing. I'll tell you, without ambition, guys, no matter what field you'll, you enter, you'll never excel. That, that's a worldly principle. If you don't want to, if you, if you're, if you're not ambition, ambitious about your trade, if you're, if you're a blue collar kind of guy, well, then you're just going to be, you know, entry level and you're not, but if you're ambitious to learn more about that trade and you want to make a difference, my goodness, there's no limit. There's no limit. Can you imagine if your family doctor wasn't ambitious about your health? You here again? Can you imagine going in there and go, you know, I, I honestly, I'm not going to say who this guy was, but I, I, I worry about doctors sometimes. I, I, I look at him and I'm thinking, did you buy that de- de- degree from pennies? You know, it's, it's scary. They don't, don't care two hoots about you. You're just another number as you come in. When a doctor looks at you and say, what did we talk about last week? Oh, my goodness. Let it not be said of us. You see, there is something about being other-centered and Christ-centered and not worrying whether or not you, you, you're, you're acknowledged or you've got the recognition. Man, God can use that, and you will excel in your ministry. Amen, folks? Now, with all that being said, look at verse uh, 18 with me. It says, at the same time, Jesus came to the disciples um, Unto Jesus, say, or no, I'm sorry, the disciples came to Jesus and they're asking, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if you can do this quickly, go to Mark chapter 9. More to this story than um, we see here in Matthew's account. Remember, Mark adds a little bit more, Luke adds, uh, adds a little bit more. We get the full picture by going through what we call the Synoptic Gospels. But Mark really gives us some. Uh, insight to this. Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 31. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, Look, the Son of, of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall raise on the third day. But they understood not the sayings and, and were afraid to even ask him about that whole thing. Now, what's happening here? Again, Jesus, over and over and over, he's trying to teach them through his teaching and even through 
just the, um, his miracles. He's trying to show them that he is going to die. He is going to suffer and die. He's going to raise from the dead. And, then, um, and this is going to establish a spiritual kingdom. And again, I can't fault them. All they've known, all their lives, they've been taught that their Messiah is coming. He is going to remove the Roman yoke. He is going to return the scepter of Judah, which means this, gang. It means they will have, again, the right to rule and reign themselves. That, that this Messiah will remove the Roman yoke from their neck and they'll be saved. And now all of a sudden, the, the one whom they have put their trust in is saying, Now, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to die uh, a criminal's death. But I don't want you to lose heart. That, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to rise from the dead. And again, they just couldn't. It wasn't like they couldn't understand it intellectually or scripturally. They just could not understand the whys and the hows. And it's just total confusion to them. So in verse 33, still in Mark 9, he says this. He came to, as they're coming to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you were disputing among yourselves by the way? So he overheard them. They're in the back. They're arguing who's going to be a great, who's going to have what position in the kingdom. It says in verse 34, but they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And so he sat down. Now, this is something that Mark tells us that Matthew leaves out. He sat down and he calls the 12 and he said unto them, if any man wants to be first, if you really want to be great, if you really want to factor in the greatness in the kingdom, he goes, he says, you've got to be last and you've got to be the servant of all. And this must just blew their minds. Well, wait, wait. No, no, we're talking about James and John wanting to sit one on the left and one on the right. We're talking about Peter who had this great revelation and he thought because of that he was going to have this place of importance within the kingdom that he would be great. And he goes, no, that's not how it works. That's, that, is not, that is not kingdom greatness. That's not spiritual greatness. He says the first thing is just don't try to be first all the time. Take that other place. Jesus tried to teach them when, they, when he came to a meal. Don't take that guest of honor seat. You might be asked to leave it. But take the lower seat. James says it like this. Tension, dial in with me right here. James says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Not exalt yourself. You know? We, we used to laugh about it all the time. I would go into some of these churches. And I still see it whenever I'm asked to speak somewhere. Where the pastor has... The, the parking lot, you know, the parking space, pastor, or the reverend parking, like closest to the, what is that all about? To take the lower, park in the back and walk there, you lazy, excuse me, I got in the flesh a little bit. So Jesus says in verse two here, Jesus called his, to, to his disciples, and uh, he's, I'm sorry, he called a little child to himself and he set him in the midst of them. And, and I love, like, again, I love visualizing me being there. And you just see all the disciples, they're by themselves, apparently. And he just sees a kid in, in, the, in the distance. And so he's saying, hey, come over here. 
come over here. Now, the word child there literally is not a young adult. This is someone that is young. I don't know if he's a toddler. I don't know if he's just like a seven or eight-year-old kid. But it's the point that Jesus is using with this object lesson. He brings him and he just sits him right there. And now what he's going to do, Jesus is going to use, um, kind of give us um, insight of what it means to achieve spiritual greatness. In fact, there's three in verses uh, three through five, I believe it is. There's three things that I want you to mark down about this. And remember, this will be helpful as well. You've got to remember, this isn't just church doctrine or church teaching. This is Jesus teaching it. This is as if you were one of the disciples and you had that question, hey, I want to be great in your kingdom and I want a position. Can, how does all that work? How, what's rhyme and reason to all that, the nuts and bolts? And he would say, oh, you really want to know? Yeah. And you sit down with anticipation. You're going to hear a, a Bible study from Jesus. And he goes, uh, hey, kid, come here. Come here over here. And here comes this little kid over and he's just standing there. He said, you know what? You see this? If you want to achieve greatness in the kingdom, well, number one is you've got to be a part of the kingdom. And you could just say, well, just let them look at, what? Look what he says in verse 3. Verily I say unto you, except you be converted, become like this little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You're talking about greatness while crying out loud. You You better make sure you're a part of it. No one can be a great in someone's kingdom if they're not a part of the kingdom. No one can be great if they're not citizens in the kingdom. That's like saying somebody lives in a foreign country, but he's great in America. No, they're not. Can't be. So number one, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you want to achieve greatness, then you've got to make sure that you are in his kingdom. What does that look like? Well, Jesus uses a couple words here that's interesting. He uses the words here, unless you're converted now, a lot of times people will say, you know, you got to be, you know, be converted, turn from your sins. Well, that's true, but that's not what he's saying here. That word convert literally means to turn oneself from one's course of conduct and to have a change of mind. Hey, guys, if you really want spiritual greatness in your lives, you want a position, you've got to rethink this whole thing out. You think that I'm coming in this kind of power, that I'm coming to remove all the Roman yoke. No, that's later, second coming. The first coming, man, is a kingdom that will be established based upon humility, not power. Humility. And if you don't change your way of thinking, you know what? Some people think, well, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? No, no, it's not. Because I'll tell you what, it's few and far between that really recognizes that God knows better. You're saying, what? How many times have you and I have heard people, saved and even unsaved, saying, well, the Bible really doesn't mean that anymore. And you're going, what? Are you kidding me? You're doubting the Father's word. You're doubting the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Are you saying you don't have to rethink this whole thing? Well, sure, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Hey, how many guys remember, and I'm speaking to the older generation here, Father, Father Knows Best. Remember that show? 
If you do, show me your age. Stick up your hand if you remember. All right. Fathers know. And I still watch them. I know. You know. I'm just kind of addicted to it right now. But anyway, fathers know. You know what? Basically what it is, you know, the family faces a dilemma in the beginning of the segment. There, there they are. They don't know what to do. But then dad comes in from work. And he's got his newspaper. He hears the dilemma. And by the end of the show, he's fixed it. Father knows best. He knows exactly what to do with this dilemma. And it's still true today, gang. Our Heavenly Father knows best. And He knows exactly what He's talking about. You must be born again. No ifs, no ands, no buts. It is a spiritual regeneration to life. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God without it, man. Dad knows best. And a child, isn't, he's not referring to childish behavior. He's, he's dealing with childlike behavior. How many of us have, and unfortunately, I don't think I was able to do this being the ra- raised away, but you, you, would hear your, you would hear kids going, well, my dad's smarter than your dad. Well, my dad's bigger than your dad. I would go, my old man can beat up your old man for sure, <laughs> you know. Where there was something about this mentality with a healthy home where if there was a problem, all you had to do is go to dad. Amen, guys? So you just, you had that. Now, if you came from a dysfunctional thing in your past, yeah, and no, I get that. And it just sounds weird, but man, my mom knew best. You know, she always pointed me in the right direction. But still, dad always knew best. And dad, dad would protect you. So we have to rethink about this. We have to kind of turn our minds around about spiritual greatness. There is that word metanoia, you know, for you note takers, where it does mean and repent. The word metanoia literally means you've got to agree with God. And then you have to change your course of action. The one commentary that I read, it says this. The word metanoia means heartly to amend with abhorrence to one's past sin. You look, in the ba- you look in the past and you go, man, no more. I am done with that lifestyle. And I am going to be converted. I am going to change the way I'm thinking. And I am going to set my face towards a Savior who loves me and died for me on the cross. That is entering into the kingdom of God. And if that's happened in your life, then you and I can both achieve spiritual greatness. Make sense, church? The second thing he alludes to there is in verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child. And imagine Jesus is just pointing to this kid. If you humble yourself like this child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, whether they got it, they didn't get it. He's not speaking about some kind of physical kingdom. He's speaking of a spiritual kingdom to them. This is how you achieve spiritual greatness. How do you do that? He says it right there. It can be achieved through a life of humility. And again, I think that's some word we kind of just, whether we don't do it mindfully but or purposefully, but we ignore this thing called humility. We really do. If everyone would brace the, the biblical concept of what real humility looks like and what it does for a person, think of the marriages and how strong they would be today. Rather than me counseling them and begging them not to go through a divorce or whatever, just think of what the family unit would look like if a dad humbled himself. Be the dad he's been called to be. There is something about pride that just will disintegrate the very foundation you stand upon. 
Yea, there's six things I hate, and the seventh is an abomination to me. And one of those things was a man or a woman with an arrogance about themselves, a haughtiness. Jesus, God says, that makes me vomit. Man, it's a, it's a prayer of mine almost daily before I ste- step over the edge of my bed. God, I want to be like Jesus. And Jesus humbled himself. He became a man. He took on a human form. Became a man. He became a servant to die for humanity. Just imagine the greatness you will achieve in your life if we can just embrace that truth. God, I want to be humble. If I humble myself in the sight of the Lord, do you know that pride is something Jesus said, I will reject. I'll just reject it. We'll see that in a second. There are, again, just encouraging psalms throughout the book of Psalms, like with David, that kind of just kind of smacks it out of the park, as it were. He says this for you note-takers in one Psalms 131, verses 1 and 2. This is a psalm of David. He goes, Lord, my heart is not haughty, and my eye is lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or, or things too high for me. I, I'm not going there. I'm not going to elevate myself to this place of, 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 of position. And he says, surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned. Look at that picture in your mind. There's nothing more humbled like than just a child and just nursing from her or his mother and just just a humble child. And that's what he's called. Do you know there's three things that the Bible and the New Testament tells us about humility? You want to be great? As far as in in the kingdom of heaven, there's three things about humility. Number one, you put it on. Number two, you're clothed with it. And number three, you walk in it. And that's, thank God for the directness of the, the, the epistles. We are to put it on. Why? It's because that's who we are. He says to the church in Colossians 3.12, he says, put on therefore as the elect of God. Gang, there's no if, ands, but you are elected. You have been picked before the foundations of the world. And what you have been identified as is someone who is humbled. You are a humble person. And listen, that what does that look like? Well, in all kinds of different forms and, and, and matters and all. You know, it's a person who doesn't have to be right all the time. It's a person who's not argumentative. It's, not, it's a person who can come up here, lead worship, and think, God should kill me and give it to somebody that deserves it. That's humility. Again, I don't get this standing up here and giving you something that's heavier than God's own name. And, but I do it. I just, but it's God's grace. Pride comes in so many different weird, but we have to be aware of it. We need to be clothed in it. That's the way God accepts us. He says this, likewise, you younger, First Peter chapter 5, you younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Why, Peter? For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He resists it. No ifs, hands, and buts are about it. And it's something that you and I, as children of God, you are, listen, my sisters, you are a daughter to, of God. You're his daughter. My brothers, you are his son. We're in his family. We have been put into his kingdom. We're in his kingdom. 
And if we want spiritual greatness, we don't exalt ourselves, we humble ourselves. Greg, um, Gail Irwin, years and years ago in the year, he's tried to teach us through a book he wrote, The Jesus Style. And he talked about how he humbled himself, became a man. And he goes, and so too, brothers, as pastors. So he writes this, he draws this pyramid. And uh, on, the, on the bottom, he has uh, the congregation. And then on, uh, uh, under that, he has the deacons. And then he has the elders. And then he has the assistant pastor staff. And then he has the pastor. And you have this, this pyramid, you know. And he goes, what it should look like in the kingdom of God. And he had a way to flip the chalkboard upside down. He says, the great, greatest is your congregation. And what's underneath that? And he just went down. He goes, you, you are the under rower. That's all you are. And you should not be recognized by man. I went, wow. If it, that is an humbling. <laughs> and so true it is. If we want to obtain spiritual greatness, no matter where you find yourself as a dad, as a mom, as an employee, maybe you're a boss. Remember that spiritual principle. If you want to be exalted, humble yourself. He gives us the third one in verse 5. The third one, whosoever receives uh, one such little child in my name receives me. I think spiritual achievement is achieved when we recognize it's achieved by the way we treat each other. It truly is. The way I treat you. The way you treat me with each other. You know, um, Paul the Apostle, when he was on his way on the road to Damascus... Um, he had that encounter with the Lord. If you remember, he had gotten uh, the credentials or the license or the permits to go and continue to arrest people and throw them into prison and uh, actually to have people put to death. It tells us that he made havoc of the church. My old King James literally mean the word, uh, the word havoc means um, a wounded wild boar. It's a wounded animal. And that's how God viewed Saul of Tarshish. He was going around annihilating the church. And so on his way to Damascus, you, you're familiar with the story, that he is knocked down from a doxa, from a brilliant light. He's knocked down and he hears these words, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me? me? And he goes, well, who are you, Lord? And I am Jesus, whom thou art, pers art persecuting. Now, the, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. What the Holy Spirit is showing us there in that passage is, you know, uh, Paul was persecuting the church, was equivalent of Saul persecuting Jesus. In fact, when Jesus was teaching all those parables around Matthew chapter, chapter 25, uh, he was giving these se uh, several par parables. And one of them went like this. The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of the, these my brothers, you have done it unto me. And then shall he say unto them on the left, Depart from me. This is a very sobering portion of scripture. Um, you curse it. No, he says, depart from me. You curse it into ever, everlasting fire. Depart for the devil and his angels. For when I was hungry, you gave me no meat. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. 
naked, you didn't clothe me sick, and in prison, you didn't come and visit me. And then shall they also answer and saying, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, or in prison and did not minister unto you? And this is the point here. He said unto them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to the one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And if I want spiritual greatness in my life, not, not only do I have to make sure that I live a life of humility, first of all, that I've entered into the kingdom, lived a life of humility, I need to be careful how I treat you. And vice versa, you've got to be careful how you treat me or, the, or your wife or your, or your husband or your children. I mean, come on, the, the list goes on, how we treat one another. Paul the Apostle was so concerned about legalistic uh, issues that he said, look, don't take your stupid and crazy legalism and try to trip up younger Christians. That's a stumbling stone. He would even use words like anathema. Let him be accursed if he does that. It's a harsh language. Here, it can't get any harsher. You know, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. See, the church is different. The church is, you know... Humble, and they see people that are hurting. Just, just I tell you, just uh, I'll share a little story with you. This years and years ago, um, in fact, the, the young lady that I'm talking about is married now with two, two, two children. She was just a young teenager when we were on this mission trip, and we were visiting these labor camps, and uh, and we went to this one particular labor camp that was nothing but shacks. They were using buckets for their outhouses. It was, it was heart-wrenching to say the least and and so we went there with our big tubs of food and our our um our bread and all and i and i noticed the kids our kids they were doing fairly well we had about 20 and but i noticed this one young lady um was on the outskirts holding her little babies that she said she kind of found this laying in the dirt and she was trying to just feed this child some beans and rice and stuff and uh, she, the little child was so weak she couldn't hold the fork and, and I could tell that this was, man, this was really heavy on this young lady's heart. And so when we were all done, uh, I thought when I get back, I'm, I'm going to have to do a debriefing. So I got everybody around. We were still in tents then. We didn't have any um, bunks or we were sleeping bags. And we were around a campfire, and I could just see this young lady. She's pacing back and forth. So I'm getting everybody to interact, and she wouldn't. And uh, so finally, I just, I kind of, you know, called her on the carpet, and I said, hey, how, how was your day? She broke down tears. She wouldn't answer. So finally, we got it out of her, what was bugging her. And so after we were all done, of course, we prayed. We were singing songs together. It was a great night. But I got her alone, and I said, hey, listen, you know, we have two more tomorrow, and I don't think God wants you not to go. I think he wants you to go, but I think it's the way you're looking at it. I said, the next time you're feeding one of these kids, you just got to remember, when you've done it unto the least of these, you're doing it unto me. So listen, the next time you're feeding a child, just picture in your heart, you're feeding Jesus. You're just feeding Jesus. You're doing it for Jesus. See, that's what makes you great in the kingdom of God. If you do it unto man to be seen of man, in God's eyes, it's nothing. It, it, It equates to nothing. But if you do it, where you humble yourself and you're doing it as unto... I had two young men come to the church yesterday. I thought they were trying to break in. They were just walking around the place. Here they were starving. We, I was able to bring them in and give them food from the pantry and minister to them. 
You see, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called. And that's what makes us great in the kingdom of heaven. Amen, church? Give me a fat amen. amen. Now stay with me. That was the third thing. All right. And, um, and you know what? It's quarter after, and I don't, I don't want to go over. I went over the first service, and I, I hate when I do that. But what we have is just in, in this story, this account, is Jesus, of course, is using this child as an object lesson. You know, no, no doubt he's pointing at this child from time to time. But there, if you read commentaries on this section, so, some will say, well, he's really dealing with two issues here. And I, I kind of think he is too. I think he is talking about the spiritual greatness. He uses a kid, right, as an object lesson. If you want to be great, you've got to enter in. You've got to have a life of humility. And we've got to learn uh, to treat each other the way we would treat Jesus. There are two, three, three things, right? But then it just seems when I'm reading this, I'm going, wow, verse in verse 6, he says, Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones. Now, is he just addressing the child, the kid? You know, or is he still kind of alluding to maybe spiritual um, uh, maturity? But I think both are true. If we read the, the epistles, the principle is both. But I'm thinking, like, if you offend one of these little ones which believe in me, well, it would be better if a millstone was tied about your neck and that you drop it off into the sea. Now, I know that he is making a spiritual principle. Uh, there's a spiritual principle here because of the words that he used for millstone. See, in the Greek New Testament, there's two words for millstone. One is that kind of a smaller stone. You, you might see that over there in third world countries where the, the wife will sit there and she'll just keep grinding it. And she's grinding down her barley or her wheat. That's one word. And the other word is where you have a threshing floor, a large area. Usually right in the courtyard of a town. And then you have a huge stone where a mule would have to drag it around. That is called a millstone. And that's the word he uses. So forget that small thing. If you just cause offense to one of these little ones. Man, you face a great judgment. That's what he's saying here. There is a great, great judgment there. For anyone that will cause offense. Now, again, just so I rightly divide this and I don't mislead anyone. Is he just talking about children? I think so. Or is he just ta talking about young Christians and people who want to be great? I think so. I think both are, the, are both, are this, you know, they're, they're tr both true. So what does this tell me? This imagery, millstone, can't put it around your neck, throw it off the edge of the, the bridge. It's better for that person, you know, to endure that than to face the judgment of God. I start to think, you know, wow. How many of you guys, you guys can tell South Jersey, how many, do you, how many of you really find that harsh? Would you raise your hand if you find that harsh? Really, you don't? I do. In fact, I, in fact to hear anyone suggesting suicide at all is harsh to me. This is Jesus' teaching again. He is saying it's better for you to do that than to face God. And I think about the educator. I think of, and I listen, been doing this a long time. A few of us around here have been doing this a long time. And we've seen it over and over. Listen, I love education. I think every child should have a, a chance to better themselves at everything. But when we start to send our kids into a higher educational system and they come back and they start to doubt the virginity of Mary... 
That maybe she had a, Jesus had a relationship with Mary Magdalene. And this is what some of the kids are telling me when they come back from college. That they just think that, you know, Buddha will get you there and Krishna will get you there. And Muhammad, it doesn't really matter. As long as your heart is genuine. That's why I had said to you guys just the last couple of weeks here, please. If you got kids, don't let them go. I'm not saying don't let them go to college. No, we, we have to do that, I think. But what I'm telling you is, you have them now. You, whatever time you have, you invest the word into them. And you train up a child in a way they should go. That when they do depart, if they depart, they'll remember everything you've instilled into their lives. I just don't get it. I don't get it when a parent thinks, well, they'll figure it out on their own. No, they won't. They're lambs. They're sheep. And sheep is not the brightest animal out there. The word he uses there, by the way, and I think it's noteworthy to offend, is scandaleo. Scandaleo. And it means this, to put a stumbling block. That's true. But it also means, if you guys will write this in your notes, it means to impair one's vision. To impair one's vision. And I think of people who just purposely try to stumble young Christians or they purposely try to just rob the joy of salvation to a child. I remember when I first got saved. I don't know who it was. I don't remember. But the the words still ring in my head. Oh, this won't last. When I came came and I was so excited about my salvation and I I got saved. That's the very first thing a friend to say. That won't last. It's just a fad. Thank God I knew it wasn't a fad. You know, again, um, where it says verse 7, and again, it's still a warning. It says, woe to the world because of offense. For it must needs be that offense comes, but woe unto that man by whom the offense cometh. Another word, look, the, the world, that's just going to be the nature of the world. The world in general, that's what's going to happen. But woe to the person who is used as an instrument. Hey, guys, can I just rain on your parade a little bit? Don't raise your hand, but how many of us watched the Oscars this week? I get it. I'm just as curious as you are. How many of our kids watched it? The promotion of homosexuality, sex without marriage. Then they're given a trophy for it. They got a statue now they can put on their mantle. No, I get it. I, I hope I don't sound like, oh, here he goes. He's like, I'm not. I'm just as, I think we just have to reconsider what we're exposing our kids to. Just, just think about it and pray for it, please. Please. Because well unto them that impairs the vision, the music they listen to. I forget her name. The, the woman that has a talk show, she, they treat her like she's a church, you know. There's more than one way to get to God. That's what she says. So, eh, well, whatever. There's only one way to get to God. And Father knows best. Make sense, church? Uh, Greg, you make your way out here, buddy, so we don't go too far over. But um, look how serious Jesus is here, verses 8 and 9. Man, if your right hand, your foot offends thee, cut it off. Cast them from thee. It's a lot better to go into the eternal, halt or maimed. If your eyes are going to offend thee, pluck that out too. It's better. You get the jest there. I don't have time to go through it. Like, Look at the imagery here. 
We need to take this serious. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 5. Look, if, if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut that off. If your right, foot is, uh, your, your right eye is causing you to sin, pluck that one out. And of course, if you pluck out your right eye, your left eye is going to be looking around at what to sin with, right? It's a, prim, it's a principle. It's an imagery. And the Bible is all, it's filled with that. I, I'm a, it, going through Leviticus and my, my devotion with the Lord. And I came across Leviticus 9, I think, yesterday. And, uh, you know, that's that section where um, Moses is going to ordain Moses, or sorry, Moses is going to ordain Aaron as the high priest. And so for this ordination service, they have to do an offering of consecration. They'll kill a big bull, they'll drain the blood, they'll slice and dice the thing, you know. And um, what Moses does, tell him to come on. What Moses does is he takes the blood of that animal and he walks up to Aaron and he puts, he puts it on his right earlobe. And then he puts it on his right toe. Um, no, his right thumb and then his right toe. Now, that's to, it's, it's imagery. And what it's saying here is that may your ear be anointed to hear the word of God. When it came to the thumb, may your thumb, may your hand be anointed to serve the Lord. And with the toe, is, may the Lord anoint your feet to stay on the path that he has chosen. God takes that serious. He sets you apart for, to be great in the kingdom of heaven. To whatever you listen to, whatever you look at. May it be that which causes you to be humble. Whatever you put your hand to, never exalt yourself as a servant. Wherever your feet find that path, you stay on it. That he would be lifted and glorified in your life. I'll just, I'll finish with just this, you know, where he says, take heed that you don't despise one of these little ones, you know, in verse 10. And for I say that the, even their angels behold their faces before the Father. And the idea there, again, angelology, the study of angels, a lot can be said going all the way back to the garden. But, you know, all he's saying is that I believe that every one of our kids, all the kids, they have a guardian angel. Bill Gallantin told us a story years ago how something happened to one of his young boys. He got lost in a park. He fell. He got hurt. And all of a sudden, he's being picked up by a man waving a sword. And he didn't feel fear and all. And when the kid came home, he swore he goes, Dad, I don't understand. It's, someone helped me get home. And he was big. <laughs> and probably many of us can attest to where maybe God helped us out through angels. Billy Graham has a book called Angels. Maybe you should pick that up and enjoy the reading. It's a great read. It's easy. But there are angels. And they are beholding God's face. Sunday school teacher, you're teaching those little kids. You might have a dozen angels sitting right beside them. You don't know. But that's how important it is to God. I said I was going to make that my last. I lied to you. Verses 11 through 14. I think that's important. I, you know, I don't want to be negative. It's not right that we take scriptures and take them out of context. How many of you know that's my pet peeve? I just in this section here, I've, I've heard so many sermons on it. We've established the context. I want to be great. All right, well, make sure you're entered in. I want to be great in position. Well, make sure you have a life of humility. Well, I want to be great. I go, well, listen, the thing is, man, you better be careful how you treat each other, you know. 
Listen, I take notice of every one of these kids. I take notice of every young Christian. They're always before my father's face. But what happens here if someone does leave? One of the kids do get lured away through this higher education or the entertainments. Maybe it's an abusive parent. They get lured away and now they're out there. My heart is broken. You know what I see here? If God has to, he'll lead the, nine, lead the 99 to go get that one kid. He'll go get your kid. Don't you worry about it. I have seen it even in my own life. God, he's not talking about, okay, Harry, just go, God wants you to go get the one. No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the one who possibly was lured away. He'll go get them, guys. That's why I just train them up. That's all you got to do. Dad, have the family devotion. Mom, instruct them in the scriptures. Tell them every day how much God. I used to tell my brother all the time. He would come to the door. He'd knock on the door. He was out there. And I'd look. I said, hey, you remember? Yeah, I know how God loves me. Jesus loves me. I got it. Can I have something to eat? Just keep, in, just keep drawing it into him. Amen? You guys okay? All right. Stand up with me. Second Peter, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. It's his will that none perish, but all come to what? Guys, he wants them more than you do. And maybe here today you're thinking of somebody that's just got blown away. Maybe they just said, I'm not going back there. There's just a bunch of hypocrites. And hey, just start praying for them. Stay great in the kingdom of God. And if you don't know him, and maybe this is just speaking to your heart. Just worry about entering first. Agree, you need a savior. You need a dad who knows best. Receive him, receive his gift. Ask him to forgive you. You're ushered into the kingdom of heaven. Man, your life, will, it'll be different. Father, we love you so much for your word. And we thank you. Sometimes, Lord, it's challenging. It really is, Lord. To see things like that, it's better that you take a millstone. Lord, that is just, that's harsh. But yet it's so true. You would pour out your heart and say, listen, I'm so serious. If your right hand offends, you cut it off, Lord. God, I pray we take sin serious, Lord. I pray that we just don't whitewash it, as it were, or make light of it. I pray, Father, that you would just begin to pour out your Holy Spirit upon your church, Lord, in a fresh and new way that we would all humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. We love you, Lord. We love your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. amen.